Welcome to Founders and Friends, the company podcast for Tally Foods, hosted by its founders, Kyle Watts, John Gabizadeh, and Dr. Susan Marie Flugel. What's up, John, my man? What's up, Kyle? What's up, buddy? Happy uh, up, happy partner? Wednesday. Yeah, happy Wednesday, partner. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Happy Wednesday. How's it uh, How's it going over there in Long Island today? Uh, good, no complaints. Busy day started from 6 a.m. and been at it all day, nonstop calls, back to back. <laughs> 6 a.m., that, you, you're man of your word. So you go until 1, 1 a.m. this morning? No, 11 p.m. last night. Okay. What about tonight? Tonight, it, it's not going to be late night. I'm going to try good. to finish early. That's good. You got any tips for me for this bar mitzvah I'm going to this weekend? Is it, <laughs> what am I in for? Is, is, it a, is it a party or is it serious? Is so it, 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 what's the, it? Run me through this. So my, my, my nephew, Drew Cochran, is, uh, is turning 13. And it's my first bar mitzvah this weekend traveling to Michigan. John is Jewish. What am I in for? So actually, I, I'm very impressed that. Uh, I mean, I'd love to hear that you told me last time you're going to bar mitzvah and your family. I, I was, I was, I was uh, smiling. Uh, so, so basically, it's a Jewish ritual ritual where a, a, a child becomes a man. Uh, basically, in, a, in a Jewish in Judaism, there's more to it, but but in a layman layman's description, that's that's really what it is. And there's a ceremony where you read from the Torah. And it's called a parsha in the Haftorah, uh, and and basically uh, it's for the uh, he's going to read that, and then there's there's after service is a, a, a party. I'm not sure whether that's on the Saturday Sabbath Shabbat or Saturday night. The party. Tell me what's, the what's party. There? Yeah, the the first thing is a Friday night dinner. It's all very uppity. It's a Friday night dinner, and then uh, the bar mitzvah is on Saturday, and there's a Saturday night party. And then there's a Sunday brunch. This is so awesome. So Shabbat dinner Friday night, which is what, what I do. That's uh, what that is. That's what you do. Yeah. Shabbat That's... dinner, right. Yep. So so basically family gathers together. You recite Kiddush over, over wine. And you say uh, Hamotzi, which is the blessing over bread. And uh, you, 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 it's an event you, with family. You drink. You have a good time. And you eat a lot of, lot of good food. So that's what you're gonna have Friday night. Now you said that the the mother of the your cousin is a Kohen. So the mother of my nephew, yes, my yes, is a, is a Kohen. Yes, very nice. So so that's that's a very high position, high ranking in in uh, in, in Judaism. So that's nice. On sa- sa- Saturday morning, the Shabbat morning, you're gonna go to the synagogue. They're gonna do the Haftorah reading, and then Saturday night is the uh, party. So, I mean, just have a blast, drink, dance, enjoy. I, I feel like I feel like since you met me, there's more Judaism coming to you. <laughs> Indirectly, I, well, I like Judaism. <laughs> I think it's 
more in, I think it's very interesting. My dad does too. I sort of get my curiosity from my dad. He he he's all in with this. He's he's reading about it. He's like memorizing his little two sentences in Hebrew, I believe is I love the it. language. <laughs> I love and he he is super pumped about it. But no, it's a cool religion. There's so much to learn. And obviously you observe the Sabbath every Friday. So every like Friday at like 3.30 my time, uh, if you call, if I call John, he doesn't pick up and his phone goes straight to voicemail because it's past sundown. But then in the summertime, we can talk until you know, seven my time because the sun is still up in New York. And then John keeps his phone off from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. And then because he's a psycho, he turns his phone back on on Saturday night and works Saturday night. <laughs> How pathetic is that? <laughs> that? That is so pathetic. What a pathetic that, life I have. <laughs> that, that is. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, that is a Saturday night. You're cranking, sending yeah. me stuff. I hope nobody learns from that. Don't do that, people. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's it's that, a, that's it's insanity. A, that's insanity. It's not normal. It is. It is insanity in, in many ways. But you're mentally healthy. It seems like you're pretty mentally, very mentally fit. You have a great outlook. Those are all signs to me that somebody is is healthy. Thank you, thank you, partner. You seem you seem pretty happy and healthy. But I'm always here for you, um, as well as a friend. I know that. So, so tally kids updates. Uh, we got back from the co-manufacturer last week. I'll let you talk about that. How how that go? It was good to see you. Yeah, I, I, it was good to see you after ten months. You mm-hmm. and I started a business uh, literally like a couple months ago, and you know we did it all through phone. So seeing you was wonderful, and basically it was it was fantastic. The the, the run went well. We we had success on on both flavors. We. Everything that we planned for worked out. The only, I guess, uh, thing that we didn't expect was it was going to be a two-day run because it was short-staffed, this huge, massive plant of 1,000 employees. It was short-staffed, so we had to work with one man <laughs> loading ingredients by hand into a 30,000-batch tank, and that took the whole day, basically, to do for, for our product. So. I was expecting the day that I was there, at least I could see the blending and, and, and the also filling, but uh, I, I, I wasn't able to. But I was happy with the flavor, with the outcome, and I think that when we get the samples, should be, you know, it should, should be great this week. Yeah, the original tasted great. But back to the short staffing thing, that was so eye-opening, wasn't it? Yes. That plant was beautiful beautiful efficient top of the line we couldn't i look for clogged drains i i look for uh trash spilling over i look for you know there's going to be dust and stuff like that i'm not worried about that right but we all we were walking around looking for you know pools of of unknown substances you know various uh, other milk it's a dairy you know there's various different things produced there um so we wanted to make sure that the allergen protocols were super tight and so we were super um, religious about you know investigating everything and having them take us through step by step of the process and the clean in place and how they test for for allergens with the rinse water they test it again in the product they test they stop the line they test the product again uh, then they hold it for ten days so everything about the plant was great super, super professional super professional but but 
there was nobody working there. Yeah, you could was, tell they had huge labor issues. Yeah. So, ah, oh, that was wild to see that. Everybody there was, I swear to goodness, over 50 years old. I least. know. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't understand that. Doing hard labor. So we had one gentleman, to John's point, he's loading a pallet. Imagine a pallet just stacked with ingredients. Um, he, did, he, did, he, did, he did six pallets that day, and each pallet has like pallets. 50 bags on it, imagine. And every bag weighs 50 pounds. And then they forklift it up to the top platform. So you, the platform can peer into this massive blender. From, it's all it is. It's a massive kitchen blender. And this guy is just dumping bag after bag after bag after bag, picking him off the pallet, dumping him in. And it takes him 12 hours straight. 12 hours straight. He started at 7 a.m. And we didn't taste any product until 5 p.m. So yeah, it's a solid 10 to 12 hours. It was amazing. And it was so good that we were there because you you basically just give give this gentleman your recipe and you like collaborate, make sure he follows it. And you were able to identify a couple steps. Once you started to see how long it was going to take, you're like, man, we should really switch up step one and five so our product doesn't come out too thick. Thank goodness you did that because that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, we didn't know that it's going to take – I mean, one person was going to operate the line. You and I didn't Never, know that it's going to take 12 hours, right? So, it, you know, for the, for, the, for the viewer listening, we, you know, our, our protein, if you mix it, uh, it becomes like a thick, thick, thick product. So we had to rearrange steps to add that later. And thankfully, as Kyle says, we were there to manage that and, and look at the batch – process and change that otherwise we would have had a thick product yeah it would have been very thick and and really people think milk is thick and it's really not i mean people notice when beverages are thick and if you actually drink a glass of two percent or whole milk it's actually not that thick and so a thick product is kind of gross people it doesn't it's not refreshing no one wants a thick product but the one more the one last thing i'll say before we talk about the topic of today's podcast which will be a short one about 15 minutes or so but is uh, there's no way to know that. Like there, there was no way to know that because the people we correspond with are front office people. You know, right. the factory workers even had some some you know friendly joking terms about the White Palace office and stuff. And once you actually get there and you stop corresponding over email and all this corporate speak. And you actually walk around with a great guy. We had a great tour guide, you know, Rob. And, th- you know, then you see, right, John? Then yeah. you really see how this is all going to come together. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting. There's just no way to know. You have to show up. Yeah, you have to be present. That for sure. Yeah, and then good news from uh, the marketing side of things is that we were accepted into the innovation showcase for Naturally Boulder. Which is a which is the premier natural foods industry group based out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, it's amazing uh, that, that they accepted us. That they think our product, you know, is, is good enough to to showcase to investors and the and the and the naturally Boulder community. So we'll be John will be flying out here to Denver. We'll be showcasing at a little table um, in in that event on February twenty third. So wish us luck on that. Yes, look, looking forward to that. And we will. I'll take you to the, my. Uh, I'll take you to my local cigar shop, my local Look, cigar bar. Looking forward to that as well. Are we? Are we going to have some Bapst uh, bourbon with that? Paps, whatever you call it. 
Paps is a beer, John. Um, <laughs> Not Paps. Paps Blue Ribbon. Yes, yes. So my dad grew up on that when he when I was a baby. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Dad. But no, Paps Blue Ribbon is an old an old uh, Milwaukee beer. What what are you talking about? Sorry, bur- bourbon. We're gonna have some bourbon with that. We are gonna have some bourbon. Yeah, yeah. we'll have some rye or some bourbon. Nice. And uh, it'll be a good time. And then we'll, we'll we will. Um, I'll drop you off at the airport after the event, and hopefully we'll get some inbound emails coming in. Sounds good. All right. Today's a quick one. John has to jump, but it's an interesting one. We've been talking a lot about formula lately. The Susan Marie Flugel podcast, I'm super proud of that. I know you are as well, John. Absolutely. Uh, Just being associated with someone like that is, uh, you know, says a lot about you. And I'm happy to ride your coattails when it comes to Susan. So, you know, she was so engaging and fun. And then today I, I want to switch it up to talk about us. Hopefully we can be as engaging and fun talking about business. I think that's really my passion. Uh, I, I love the formula as well, but I love talking business. And so what I want to talk about today is where, where you should start if you're going to launch a, a product. And that is called a pro forma unit P&L. Pro forma basically means it's assumptions that you validate. So it's not like a backwards looking P&L, which is loaded with actual costs. For example, if we go to the co-manufacturer and they say, oh, you know, we only made X instead of Y. Now, all of a sudden, our cost is going to actualize higher because maybe they made less. And so the cost per good is higher. But the pro forma means it's forward looking. And you have to you have to start here because that's how you build the assumptions around your business. So, in the pro forma P and L for for products, there's there's like six buckets, and you can obviously go crazy with it. But there's really six major buckets, and I'm going to have John speak to these and kind of ping him on them, and we're going to just talk about them and how we built it out for Tally. And we did this when we first met on this business a couple months ago, and then we just started going through the iterative process of validating every single one with an actual supplier quote. Like, hey, we think it should cost 40 cents. Now let's go find a supplier and see what it actually costs. And now we're at a point where our P&L is fully vetted. Every line has a supplier associated with it with a assigned quote that says, yep, your corrugate box will cost 75 cents per unit. So that's where you want to get to. And then you can see if you're in business or not. And that, that's where it can get kind of scary. But there's six buckets. Product cost of goods, the pure formula and packaging, production cost, it's called tolling. So how much it costs to manufacture your product, freight and warehousing. So you have to ship your product from the manufacturing facility to a warehouse. You have to pay for that truck. And that warehouse has to store your product until somebody buys it. So that's freight and warehousing. Then there's marketing. So, you know, once your product is at the warehouse and goes out to the stores or goes out to a customer, we're obviously marketing on Instagram or we're placing ads in that store. And there's trade spend. And I don't think a lot of people know about this, but trade spend is when you pay the grocer, you pay the Whole Foods money to run those promotions. Whole Foods, Walmart, they don't run promotions just to save you money. (laughs) They're not that nice. We pay for those promotions. The the manufacturer pays Whole Foods to run a promotion. Sometimes they'll go half and half with you. Sometimes they will fully fund them, although that's extremely rare. Most of the time, if you see a dollar off Kraft Mac and Cheese, Kraft will get the bill for that 
from Walmart. Um, and when you have those, all those things factored in, you land at your gross margin. So after you have product cogs, production costs, freight warehousing, marketing, trade spend, you land at a gross margin. And that's where the work starts. So if you if you get to a certain point where all those costs add up to, you know, call it, you know, three dollars a unit, and you really want to make a 30% gross margin because you need that positive cash flow, you know, your price is now boom, you know, 350. Like that's your price. You can't go below that. And so building up building the price, you don't start with the price. Like it's nice to have an idea of where you want your price to be, but you can never start with the price. You have to go bottoms up and build in the gross margin that you want to hit to then land at a price. And then you have to go look out in the marketplace and see, hey, did did what I do with this product create enough value in the market that people will pay this price? And that's where with Tally Kids, we added up all of our costs I just went through and we said we want to make X amount of margin because we want to be in business. We want to we want to have a positive cash flow. We don't want to go out of business. We don't want to be running on debt. And, and then we said, all right, that's going to land us at $5.99 on shelf. So when Tally Kids launches in grocery stores later this year, it's probably going to be $5.99 on shelf. And we said, all right, Looking at the competition, we we think we're super specific, super unique, adding a lot of value, and we can achieve five ninety nine. Um, John, do you want to add on to that in terms of how you start with bottoms up and sort of land at that price, and then sort of see if you have value at that price? Have you gone through that same experience? Yeah. So you know, I, I just want to say a few things that may not directly and directly answer what you asked me right now, but I just I just want to I want to say working with you. Is a pleasure because you understand PL, you understand COGS. And the beauty is, two people, when they understand it, they can challenge each other, right? When one person does it and they're not validating with somebody else, they think they're right. But you and I, we, we, we challenged everything that went back and forth and it allowed us to agree that it is correct, at least on that basis or, 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 or hypothesis, right? So, so the, we, we, we've worked very hard to, to get to the point where we are now. Now, I, I do want to say the devil is in the, de- the detail, right? So this is very, very important statement I'm saying right now. In manufacturing, you, know, you, you, can, you can think that you have a 30% gross margin, but if you do a production run and you lose on your yield, right? We slightly lost on our initial yield when we, when we ran last week, and this yield was 20%. So that 20% puts us at almost a break-even on the first run, uh, but it's okay because it was the first run, right? We, we, we don't know until we, we, we get going. But point being is uh, everything you said is, is absolutely correct. What, uh, uh, you know, what, 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 we, what we have uh, basically was, was uh, created together. So I, mean, I don't know anything else to add. I mean, I think... Yeah, no, absolutely. That's... Exactly right. It's super important to, and I, I've seen big companies that don't vet cogs very well because you make you make assumptions oh, and yes. you get lazy. <laughs> you know, you don't <laughs> you don't really want to right. vet right. it. It's like okay, the box is actually eighty two cents. I should go into that Excel file and update it. And I don't know. I've seen it happen where we had wildly inaccurate P and Ls in very large businesses. And it caused entire product lines to fail. We act, I've actually been in a, a business where this is insane, John, and I won't name the company, but a product was in market for a year, a year, 
and it was extremely popular. It was a phenomenal product. Tasted great. People loved it, even raved about it. After a year, they realized they were losing 30% gross margin on the product. They were stapling a dollar to every unit and just shipping it out the door. So they had to discontinue the product overnight. Like That's just poor management. That, I was like, that happened. I was like, is that's, this normal? <laughs> that's, that, that is too bad. That is too bad for the team, for the waste of people's times to do this together. But that, that, that's where I stay up late. Now I see you are too. It's reaching out to the suppliers. It's, it's, it's making sure we got everything right before we actually start the project, borrow money and do all this stuff. Right. So, uh, this is, this is all, it's all, uh, it works together. Right. Yep. Yeah. Let's go through it. Six buckets. Let's go through it. Product cogs. So the cost of the formula, this is really your space. I feel like this is coming very in line. I feel like you can really dial this one in, you know, the ingredients, the chickpea protein, the monk fruit, you've done a very, very, very good job of identifying best in class suppliers, pushing them on getting us the best price, promising rightfully so future volume, you know, so they can have some skin in the game and give us a good price, kind of lean in with us. And a lot of those product cogs cost a good soul. The formula and the packaging has come in exactly as we thought. Yeah, we're grateful for that. That's that's very important that we were able to, to meet where we need to be at. Now, it's important when you reach out to these suppliers to ask them for high volume and short volume, right? And whatever we base our, co- our, our P&L, our, our, our cogs is based on the high volume run. We're not going to do it based on we're going to buy 25 kilos of, of cacao powder we're going to base it on buying 2,000 kilograms at a time, right? So we asked them to give us tier pricing from their lowest price, even if that's 10,000 kilogram, right? And, and, and bring it down to, to, to what the, the small volume is. So take those costs, go find different suppliers in each of the, of the type of ingredient that works for you and have them all quote it for you and, and make sure you test the ingredients and uh, use the, the best price in the, your P&L. Yeah, that's exactly right. You want to show high and low volume P&Ls. Really just the high volume is your, it's like your long term, right? So it's obviously no one plans to launch a business and just do $10,000 a year in revenue, you know? So what you got to look at how your costs are if you were to be at, you know, two, three, four million in, in revenue, which is where you plan to be. That, that's, that, that's, that's a problem though, because a lot of these entrepreneurs, they don't know that. So they're doing their cogs on the, on the small volume. Then they go to market and, and they sell it for something that should be priced at four ninety nine at nine ninety nine, and they have a challenge bringing the price down because they don't understand the, the you know thinking the, the long term. So that's very important. And also the flip side of that's true. I've seen errors a lot. I mean, a lot of companies fail because they make law. They assume that they're going to hit volume that they will that they don't hit. That's right. And then their P and L suffers. Because if you if you think you're going to do a million bucks and you tell everybody we're going to do a million bucks and so our cost is a penny instead of ten cents on this item, you know, and it turns out that you never hit a million bucks and your cost remains ten cents because you're placing crappy tiny orders with a supplier, you know, you can do a massive cash crunch really quickly. That, Investors hate right. that. That's right. So you do have to be cautious about how ambitious uh your assumptions are you don't want to end up like elizabeth holmes and theranos and tell everybody you know you're gonna make a machine it's gonna cost like you know whatever she did and it just never was even feasible yeah 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 yeah. you have Um, to be down to earth and you have to be basically 
you, you can't you can't fool yourself. Bottom line, you can't fool yourself, and you have to constantly be looking at it, like weekly, monthly, and going, "Hey, I think it's going in the direction where we can update this cost." Um, next one is production cost. This one, you know, this shouldn't really change. You should find a really, really. You should have your own manufacturing facility if you can afford it, but almost no plant-based milk startup, <laughs> let alone any food startup, uh, can afford or probably even should try to afford uh, their own factory. That would be that's insane. That's a different animal, and, and um, that's that's massive capital. That for down the road, we've talked about that with you. Yeah, that's that. You've had that experience in Argyle. So, but the for us, we use a co-manufacturer, which is basically a facility for hire. That's SQF certified, FDA, USDA inspected, top of the it's line. Their headache. And they're certain it's their headache. And so they they literally charge us a fixed amount per item. And we put that into our future looking pro forma PL. And we say, okay, they're gonna charge us, you know, fifty cents an item to make this stuff. You know, and then you just go from which is, there. Which is which is very reasonable, right? I mean, you all you're doing is paying a small fee. And using their line time, which is in their experience, and, and and they have the best experience. So, I I highly recommend never to anyone to start up a factory of their own. <laughs> yeah. yeah, listen to episode two if you want to hear John talk about how he couldn't afford the heating bill <laughs> while he was sleeping in his own factory. That was yeah. Sad. Don't do it, people. But I'm glad you went through it. I'm glad you went through it. Yeah, I mean this factory is top of the line. I, I mean the the screens, the touch screens they do everything right and they have the protocols in place such that your product is going to come out safer. And that's like all that's that right. matters. Freight and warehouse. So John sources the monk fruit, you know, we go to the, we ship those, that pallet of ingredients to the, to the factory, that gentleman that we talked about earlier loads it up into the massive, you know, kitchen blender, but it's just seriously, that's what it looks like a massive kitchen blender. Um, and we make the product and, and then it goes to the, the warehouse on a truck. Uh, we have to organize that truck, right? So, you know, it goes, you know, we have these beautiful, you go to our Instagram tally, bottles coming off the line tally cartons they go to a where they go to a warehouse just that's just next door i mean they, the manufacturer and facility literally just makes it and puts it next door and then says hey come pick it up so we got to pay for a trucker to go pick it up we got to find a warehouse to put it at john you seem to have a you like to keep these folks at arm's length i've noticed <laughs> what do you mean you don't call them sh- well like uh i'm just your level of warmth when it comes to dealing with logistics people is is pretty much transactional. <laughs> Give me an example. Like what? Well, I mean, I don't think we speak super highly of like any real 3PL we deal with because it's so transactional. Oh, yeah, so yeah. it's all about the money, baby. It's all about the rate. You know what I mean? So when we go find a trucker, I would love to have a a trucker named Buddy who I was friends with that would always drive our loads from our facility to our warehouse, but it's just not the case. And so you end up just emailing like four or five, six different people and whoever gives you the best trucking rate wins the job. That, that's right? what we got to do. Always bid it out to four or five people. My dad taught me this, this rule and it always works. Bid it out and, and the best price takes, takes the job. And we have to do that. I mean, we have to look at every penny, right? Devil's in the detail. Yep, you're exactly right. Bidding it out definitely does work, and you can leverage bids against each other. Hey, I want to work with you. I you did a good job for us last time, but someone just quoted me hundred bucks less on this truck. Can you match right. that? And then they either said yes or no. 
And then when it comes to warehousing, I mean, this is, man, uh, find a good warehouse. Uh, they're taking care of your babies. Uh, I can't emphasize this point enough. And also just how stressful it is because the warehouse is the last touch point in your supply chain before it gets to your customer. And so, especially for us with having consumer, you know, experiencing our product, like you just want to find a warehouse that's not going to screw that's it up. That's right. Like if they order original, ship them original. If they order chocolate, ship them chocolate. Pack it out appropriately so it doesn't come dented. Use the Tally Kids branded box. Don't put it in the generic corrugate. Um, put this. Put, put our nice insert card that we made for folks with the with the fun little maze game for the kids. Don't forget to put it in there. And it, you don't have eyes in the warehouse. Hey, you know? Kyle, I, I, you're making great points here, and I, and, I, and I sense your frustration before we even started this process of, of shipping product out. Let's keep a log on how many times there's human error when it comes to not putting in that that that, that piece of paper or whatever mistake that they make. I, I deal with this weekly right now with, with products that we sell in, in our other Simply Eggless, right? So it's never perfect. It's always a problem. Always. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is. And that's why my idea for this is I added a survey to our website. And I'm going to keep like surveying people and having um, our team, as we grow our team, survey consumers. Did the product arrive dented? Did the product arrive on time? Was there an insert card in there? Which insert card did you get? And I think we'll give people a little d- discounts, but you got to just keep checking on your consumer experience because that is all. Agree. Agree. That, that is the key. And so when it comes to pricing that out, I mean, everyone's different. You can work with a white glove warehouse that is super, you know, high level customer service, costs more. You could work with a cheap warehouse that sucks, but is cheap. And it's just a matter of, I don't know, gut feel. We, we, I want to work with the best, but we also have to be realistic about what we can afford. And so I'm all, I'm always on the hunt for a better warehouse. We're a better warehousing partner. I, I believe we have one of the top in the, in the United States, but they're so big. There's always human error. That's, that's what we'll experience, unfortunately. But I think you have the great strategy as far as surveying and, and we learn from that, deciding whether this company is right for us for, for warehousing or if we have to switch to somebody else or what changes we have to make without knowing feedback, we'll never know. Exactly right. Let's give them a chance to be successful, but check, but verify, check, but verify. So we have our product cogs, you know, we have our production costs, we have our freight costs to get the product from the, the production facility to the warehouse. We have our warehousing costs. So we have all those costs. Now let's just tack on, you know, marketing. So we'll just say, to keep it simple, because today's a short podcast, we'll just say it's like 10% of, of the price you want to spend on marketing. It's an easy assumption to make. And then you arrive at sort of what is your COGS plus marketing, you know, and that's kind of get you to a certain watermark where you're going to say, all right, now I got to tack on um, my gross margin and I have to account for trade spend. So John, can you explain what trade spend is? So tra- trade spend is basically uh, you can you can elaborate or correct me if if you look at it differently. But when you sell to a when we sell to a retailer, we have to account for uh, certain costs such as promotions that we'll give to them, and these promotions occur perhaps every quarter, and usually they like to take twenty five percent off the product 
This trade spent also accounts for TPR, which means temporary price reduction. This is basically a scan, which when somebody buys a unit, they, they, it's off like 30 cents or 40 cents. You give an EDLP based on that EDLP. So all these deductions based on lowering your cost uh, for, for promos is, is basically the trade spent. Exactly. The goal, the vendor's goal with trade spend is to le- ideally use as little of it as possible, obviously, and to have as much of it flow through to the consumer. So you never want to give Walmart a dollar if your shelf price won't go down right. a dollar, right? Or if you're not getting a dollar's worth of value in return. You don't want to just pad Walmart's pockets and have the consumer not benefit from your investment. So trade spend is money that you spend through the retailer to move your products. And it, there's there's the scan, there's coupons, there's FSIs, which is uh, the freestanding inserts, uh, like the, the shopper magazines. There's um, Walmart, right, which is called EDLP, um, which is everyday low price. Target likes to do this too. Clean shelves, everyday low price, not a lot of promotions. But how they achieve that everyday, everyday low price is people like John and I pay them. So instead of selling it to them for $3.49 per unit, we're just going to build trade spend in and sell it to them for $3.30 per unit. And we'll Target and Kyle and John will agree, hey, we're not going to do any crazy promotions, but you must keep our product priced at $5.99 every day low price. And a lot of retailers like that. But they hit those, Walmart hits those uh, levels because they get their suppliers to pay to, for them to achieve those lower pricing right. levels. So that's trade spend. It's really important. Uh, it's what people say they're in, you know, product sales for CPG. If you work for like the craft sales team or any large food company, you're dealing with trade spend. I mean, that's pretty much your, your job. You're not going to, you're, you're also probably trying to sell in the latest flavor of Mac and cheese, but the real thing that you're doing day to day is managing trade spend and making sure that your products are staying profitable and and growing in terms of volume at the and, retailers. And, and the viewer should know that trade spend is the most important thing for a retailer. When you negotiate for them to take the product in, they factor in all of this uh, for them to be able to move it on, on their store shelves. If you don't give them anything, they're not going to take your product. Yeah, tell tell the folks about that. So the first the first. Line item and trade spend is what? Uh, I don't know. What is it? When you, well, when you, so like when you start the relationship, what's the first thing oh, you pay? Oh, slotting. Oh, Yeah, slotting, guys. So when we go to Target or Walmart or whomever, they're going to fall in love with Tally. There's no doubt about it. They're going to think, they're going to know, they're going to see the vision that they can sell a lot of this product because a lot of consumers will love it. But, they won't just put it on the shelves because of that. They'll charge us slotting. So what's slotting? Slotting is basically either free product or they charge you uh, per, 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 per product. So, for example, uh, when you launch, let's say, in one certain supermarkets, they, they'll charge you a minimum of five to $10,000 for putting that product on their shelves. Or most supermarkets, what they do is ask for one to four free cases. And that's at the distributor's cost, not at your cost. So basically, you're paying one and a half times uh, that that will be deducted from your bill. So if you have a store that will take roughly, uh, you know, just think about the math, right? If a product costs 
uh, is three dollars. You got to add basically the distributor's cost. Let's say at at, at what is that? Four dollars, for example, as 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 a as an example. That's twenty four dollars a case times a hundred. That's you know that's how much you got to pay just just to launch it in that one particular uh, chain if that has a hundred stores. So it's very expensive. Yeah, it becomes extremely expensive. It, and what John's referring to is you either cut them a check, and you just which I prefer. I mean, I, they're both kind of the same, but you can either cut them a check and just pay them cash. Hey, hey, here's ten thousand dollars. I'll ship you the product next week, or you literally ship them free product, and it's a way for them to to be risk free. They're de risked. I, I prefer they get to stock their shelf. I prefer free product, you, Kyle. I'll tell you why. Because we're okay. actually losing less money that in that, in that case. Interesting. It depends. Uh, depend- okay. If you, we'll do it on a case by case basis. But you know, when we give out free cases and you add the math, it usually comes out to less. Plus, we we have a margin on our, on our on our product, so we're not losing as much. That's what I've experienced. Yeah, that makes sense. And so the free fill is is simply you stock their shelf for free, right? And then once they sell through that, hopefully they sell through it quickly then they place a, a real actual reorder and then they're ordering from you normally after that. What really stinks is if your product doesn't move, you know, then you like ship them all this product and it didn't move and you get, no, I mean, that's, you get nothing back. That's a disaster. So you have to pick retailers that you are confident in and, and uh, you know, that you fit in, right? If you're a free LA, you should probably go to Seven Eleven. You know, if you're Tally, we have a whole host of retailers that would work for us, but some won't. So we won't focus on them. So you got to factor all these things in, and then that's how you arrive at your price once you align the gross margin you want to make. And um, so you take all these factors, you tack on the gross margin you want to make, and that becomes your list price. And that's the price that you offer to target. Say, hey, I'm going to sell tally to you for $3.59 a unit. You're going to make 30% margin, so you're going to sell on the shelf at $5.99. How's that sound? Can we Do we have a deal? $5.99 on shelf? And then you see if the consumer is willing to, to, to spend $5.99 for tally and if, if it moves. And if it moves at $5.99, and everyone's happy. And so that's where we're at right now. We, we'll be sending samples out to retailers and starting those conversations in terms of, hey, here's our price. You know, Here's what we think you should list it on the shelf for. This is our value, all of our benefits, which we won't talk about, but you guys know very well. We think it can move at five nine nine. What do you think? And the negotiation games will begin, right, John? It's coming up. That's when the fun starts. Yes. Cool. That's a little one hundred and one in terms of building the P and L and going to market. That's been our life uh, the past six months, and we're excited to actually go to market and play ball with a real product. Um, have a great rest of the day, John. I am heading to the bar mitzvah tomorrow and then, uh, but I'll be working Thursday, Friday from the road. And then, um, we'll catch up next week. We should get samples from the plant, uh, next Monday, I think. Looking forward to it and enjoy the bar mitzvah. Drink lots of alcohol and dance a lot. <laughs> Sounds good. I can do that for you. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.